Thank you for joining the Southeast PTTC podcast series. Every episode covers an important topic pertaining to the work of substance misuse prevention professionals. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon, and be sure to visit us online at pttcnetwork.org backslash southeast. Welcome to Keeping Kids Safe in Schools, Associations Between School Safety and Behavioral Health. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Patty Clark, Program Manager for the Prevention and Promotion Branch within the Kentucky Cabinet for Health and Family Services. We review research on how the perception of safety plays in academic success and identify prevention strategies schools can use to increase this perception. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Welcome everyone to another webinar presented by the Southeast Prevention Technology Transfer Center. We're really excited that this presentation, this webinar, we are co-presenting with our friends at the Mental Health Technology Transfer Center. Um, Our director, Mark Wolfson, is going to set the stage and introduce our presenter and then um, Dr. Clark is going to present, and then there's going to be a Q&A. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Dr. Wolfson to set the stage for today's presentation. Thank you, Kristen. So the third reason we're very excited about this webinar is uh, because of our presenter today, Dr. Patty Clark. Dr. Clark is the program manager for the prevention and uh, promotion health promotion branch of the Department of Behavioral Health, uh, Developmental, and Intellectual Disabilities. She's the NPN, the National Prevention Network representative uh, for the state of Kentucky. Uh, She has a wealth of experience in mental health, substance misuse, suicide prevention. Uh, So she's uh, thought a lot over the years about how to bring these topics together. And finally, uh, she's a recent, uh, has recently earned her doctorate from Eastern Kentucky University. And one of the reasons we think that's really important is that there's this gap sometimes between research and practice. And so Patty, I think, is uniquely positioned to help us address that gap. She brings a, uh, a practitioner focus to her research and a research-informed uh, focus to her practice. So uh, with that, let me uh, hand it off to uh, Dr. Clark, who's going to talk about school safety and behavioral health. Well, thank you so much, um, Dr. Wilson. Um, I'm, I'm honored to be here today, and I'm honored by your kind words. It's uh, um, definitely an interesting time that we're all in, and I hope all of you are settling into this work-from-home uh, environment. We are, I think I'm, I'm looking at eight weeks at this point um, that we've actually been at home, and so it's, it's just really been an interesting time for us. So I'd also like to thank the Prevention Technology Transfer Center um, and the Mental Health uh, Technology Transfer Center as well as of the Southeast region for hosting today's webinar. Um, I think it does indeed, as Mark pointed out, uh, just look at um, an intersect that maybe we're not necessarily um, always addressing. And so I'm just really excited to be here and and excited to, to be with all of you as well. So every fall, and uh, school staff prepare for the arrival of students. You know, they, they participate in professional development opportunities. They look at policies and procedures. They consider their classroom preparation. And all of these attempts are really an, um, an opportunity to create an environment where every child is welcome when they arrive at school. The prep continues after the students get there. Um, we, we hear about the tornado drills, the fire drills, the active shooter drills. 
Those always occur usually very early in the school year. And in some schools, students and or staff receive information about suicide prevention. Um, there may be prevention-focused efforts around reducing bullying or substance use, but unfortunately that doesn't happen universally. Uh, universally. Improved school safety has received significant attention over the past few years, and rightly so. Sandy Hook, Parkland, and Marshall County, Kentucky are all school district names that are etched in our memories. Unfortunately, the majority of this attention has focused only on adding physical safety measures, the hardware of safety, the cameras, the metal detectors, the school resource officers. That's unfortunate because the research shows us that addressing the behavioral health in addition to physical health is vital in improving uh, the perception that schools are safe. So our goal today is going to help behavioral health prevention providers and educators understand how they can work together and the roles they can play in supporting school safety in their community as a collaborative partnership. This afternoon during our short time, we're gonna look, um, we're gonna define school safety. We're gonna review research on safety and academic success. We'll look at the association between behavioral health issues and a student's perception of safety. We're also going to spend just a few minutes to look at the impact of COVID-19 and how that may play a role on the perception of safety if and when students return to the classroom in the fall. And finally, we're going to identify some prevention strategies to address school safety through a behavioral health lens and identify talking points to build collaborations with schools in order to support implementation of behavioral health efforts. Also, all references that are used today will be in the PowerPoint that you can download after um, when you get the link from, from the PTTC. All right, so first we're going to start and look at school safety, uh, take a look at school safety, but we need to define that term. As um, you guys were entering today's webinar, you entered some notes in this, um, you responded to the question that Janet had up. Um, uh, Kristen had up, excuse me, sorry, um, about what are some of the components that schools may implement um, when they're thinking about physical safety. I saw things like um, walking in the hallway, doing threat assessments, um, monitoring common areas, having a restroom in the classroom so they don't have to go, um, go um, too far, or if they do that you're walking with them. Um, we also hear about cameras. We hear about bars on windows in some schools, um, school resource officers, some of those hardware items that are often, um, often considered when we look at, when we consider the, the impact of school safety. But it's so important to consider that school safety includes hardware as well. Things like caring adults, properly identified and treated mental health issues, connectedness, and lack of violence and substance use among students. Um, I did see some of that in the chat as well, and I'm so glad that that was part of your list. It just tells me that you already kind of get where we're going to go today, and I'm just you know, that just helps us um, move all of our schools that much closer to keeping our kids safe. So safety is one of our basic human needs. If you think about the Maslow chart, it's really right at the bottom. And so before we, our kids can learn, before they can, they can really thrive, they have to feel safe. Um, safe schools are those that have uh, limited physical violence, but violence isn't the only part of school safety. It's 
safety is such a, a complex um, construct that we have to think about more than just a building without violence. Um, ensuring not only physical safety, but emotional safety are instrumental to school safety. Safety measures should always balance the physical as well as psychological safety of students. And adolescents really do feel safer when adults are present, even though they may act like they don't, when they may prefer that, that you're not there, they really do feel like having an adult very close to them when they're, when they're going down those crowded hallways make a difference. That means that in addition to those cameras we're putting up, we have to have those caring adults in the, in the hallways. There has to be physically monitored, monitored space in addition to those physical safety measures that happen. Additionally, students should know about policies and procedures that are related to bullying and how to report those concerns about a friend um, they may think who's in a not in a good safe mentally safe place mentally or um, just have other concerns about that them. They also need to know that those policies, especially bullying policies, are enforced consistently. Um, students also find restrictive measures are counterintuitive to feeling safe. We're going to talk about this in a bit, but the more safety measures we have in a school, the actual the lower actually the safety the perceived safety is of those students. And we also need to include services for struggling with mental for students struggling with mental health or substance use as well. Um, and finally, school safety should also take into consideration the current events that represent the potential for societal trauma, such as we're experiencing this current pandemic, and adjust accordingly. The pandemic is expected to have far-reaching impacts on the perception that students may not feel safe when they return to class. All right, so schools really are a relatively safe place to be. In fact, only about 6% of students report feeling unsafe. Students are more likely to encounter violence in their community than they are in their school. But when students do say they feel unsafe, they often report verbal abuse, harassment, bullying, and threatening from other students in the, as the reason. About 10% of boys and 5% of girls in high school report being involved in a fight. 6% say they've been threatened with a weapon. And about 90% of students say they've seen uh, or witnessed school violence. We see violence increase as students get older. As they enter high school, we see it increased in more urban school districts and in students in schools with a larger percentage of low-income uh, low students. When students are afraid, they may restrict activities to avoid those, those perceived unsafe locations. And especially among younger students, feeling unsafe correlates with higher substance use and bullying. And additionally, students who are not white are also more likely to feel unsafe compared to their Caucasian peers a disparity that we have to address in our, in our safety planning as well. So when it comes to physical safety measures in schools, there are mixed findings in the research. Some indicate that measures like school resource officers and cameras are effective, but others show that they may, may actually increase the perception that students feel unsafe at school. And as the numbers of physical safety measures increase, so do problem behaviors. So if you've got cameras and bars on the window and you've got um, multiple other uh, safety measures going on, students feel, um, they 
you know, they may feel constrained. They may feel like they're in a, they have a prison-like uh, feel when they get to school. And so as a result of that, school climate and youth empowerment actually decrease as those measures, in, uh, the number of measures put in place climb. For good reason, physical safety measures are designed to detour problem behaviors by increasing the risk of getting caught and being punished rather than promoting resilience or building coping me mechanisms among students. What's interesting too is that while um, students feel unsafe as those number of safety measures go up, staff actually feel safer. So there's a real disconnect between how um, staff in a school perceive their safety versus how students perceive their safety uh, when we're looking at those kind of uh, uh, situations. One research study that I found pointed out that the harsh discipline and physical security measures increase student alienation and misbehavior as well as a desire by students to get even in, in response to feelings of being locked up at school. Often when physical measures are added, student input is not sought, which in also increases student dissatisfaction with their work. Um, schools that have at least three physical security measures in place also have lower academic outcomes. So not only are students feeling unsafe, but they're also not able to achieve well on those academic tests that, that schools are being held so accountable to. And we also see that these outcomes are compounded in schools located in so lower socioeconomic areas. What we don't see in schools where students feel safe are weapons, substance use, and untreated mental health disorders. When those things are taken care of, uh, we traditionally see schools that have higher uh, perception of safety among their students. And this really highlights the importance of balancing not only that physical safety, but that psychological safety as well when considering a school safety plan. Um, some schools have recognized how important this is, even those with a, a significant community trauma. So for example, in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, where, we, where 26 students and school staff died in December of 22, um, the schools have, have not only used their dollars on physical security measures, but they, they're providing behavioral health interventions, they're hiring school counselors and psychologists, and they're providing professional development opportunities for their staff. So now we have a poll question. How many people in the U.S. from 2018 through the current uh, 2020 numbers, how many people were injured or died in a school shooting? So the answer is 171. So 171 people were injured or died in a school shooting in the U.S. from the beginning of 2018 to the current date in 2020. All right, so let's do that again. Let's look at a different question. So in this case, in the U.S., how many students experienced behavioral health issues in a single school year? So the answer on this one is 11.3 million. So there are 56.6 million elementary and secondary students in the U.S., and one out of every five of those has a mental health or substance use disorder. So it's really important for you to understand that we're not implying that schools should not take physical safety um, into consideration for their safety plan. They have to keep schools safe from school shootings. But rather, this points out how important it is for us to address the behavioral health issues as part of that safety plan in addition, to those, um, in addition to those physical safety measures. It's not an either or, but a both and situation. And prevention and mental health providers 
are in a unique position to support schools in addressing school safety. So next we're going to consider the, what the perception of safety, um, consider the perception of safety on students. School safety ensures that an environment that is safe and welcoming for all students. Anything that impacts students' sense of well-being impacts their sense of safety. Helping students not only feel safe, but also be safe is important. Not only be safe, but also to feel safe is important. So we're, we're looking at um, making sure that, that their physical safety is there, but also that they feel like um, when they go to school that it's, it, that it's an environment that they can just you know, settle into and do the best they can on those on their on their classwork. When students don't feel safe, test scores, graduation rates, and attendance dec decrease across uh, all of which are important achievement indicators for schools. When students feel safe, they can focus on learning. They come to school more frequently, and they achieve at higher levels than peers who feel unsafe. In fact, the perception that they are safe has a much higher impact on their actual safety or the absence of violence in school. Students link their academic performance with the violence they witness in school, and they don't have to be involved in that violence for it to negatively impact their academic performance. Students who feel safe have a higher commitment to learning, they feel more confident and are motivated to learn. Their self-confidence is higher and they are more connected to school. Schools with higher rates of, of a, a perception that schools unsafe have lower disruptions in their classrooms. Um, in comparison, students who feel unsafe have more feelings of helplessness, fear, and insecurity. They're also truant more often. When it comes to behavioral health issues and school safety, the, the existing literature is limited. But in almost every study, these two concepts are correlated. Those studies show that behavioral health issues can lead to and stem from the perception that school isn't safe. Doesn't say that they cause each other, but there is a correlation. As substance use decreases and mental health improves, so too does the perception that school is safe. The opposite is also true. As students feel safer, they use substances less frequently and they report more mentally healthy days. Again, this is not a causal connection, but a correlation. In fact, behavioral health issues have a greater impact on the perception of safety than the actual uh, violence or safety incidents that are reported in school. As a result, behavioral health prevention professionals have a unique opportunity to support schools as they work toward addressing the safety of their students. So now we're gonna look at some numbers from the Kentucky Incentives for Prevention Youth Risk Survey. This is the survey that Kentucky uh, um, conducts every two years. Last year, uh, last time it was done was in 2018, and we had about 152,000 uh, middle and high school students across the state participate. So the first, uh, graph looks at the connection between school safety and substance use. So we also see that students identify drug use as a threat against their school climate. The data shown here um, is you know, pretty obvious. You can see that the orange bars are significantly higher than the blue bars, which are um, the orange bars are those students who feel unsafe at school, while the, while the blue bars are those who say they, they feel safe. They're okay when they go to school but you'll notice that those who are unsafe have a significantly higher um, rate of saying that they're, they're uh, not, those who feel, uh, have a significantly higher uh, rate of using alcohol, marijuana, 
um, and cigarettes, as well as binge drinking. So in a multivariable analysis of the 2016 KIPP data, when we controlled um, for these other demographics, as well as issues like mental health, bullying, psychological distress, substance use remains significantly associated with the perception of safety. So this tells us that when we're addressing substance use, we're also, in, in, a, uh, in addition to that, you know, reducing the consequences of substance use, we're also increasing the perception that students feel safe at school. Um, we noticed that um, when students perceive they have supportive school-based relationships, there's less substance use, higher academic performance, and an increased perception of safety. And it, again, highlights the importance of incorporating substance use prevention into the school safety plan. We see an even greater variance among students who report serious psychological distress, suicide ideation and attempt in the past year. Again, in Kentucky, more than twice as many students who said they felt unsafe at school reported psychological distress as those who said they felt safe. And nearly three times as many report a suicide attempt in the past year when they don't feel safe. Again, the multivariable analysis controlled for demographics and we still had a significant association uh, between these variables. Research shows that adolescents who report suicide ideation, depression, depressive symptoms and substance use are also more likely to carry weapons to school and points to the fact that risky behaviors tend to cluster. So now we're going to look at bullying. And again, we see very similar findings, just as we would expect. Those kids who are bullied are, again, much more likely to, to report that they feel unsafe at school. Um, we also have a correlation between that um, where students were in schools where discipline is administered consistently and where social supports are provided that we see a lower bullying and violence as well. Exposure to violence increases the risk of mental health issues while perception of school safety acts as a protective factor. When uh, students don't feel safe, they're more likely to victimize other students or be victimized. And so in this point, it's important that we're looking at not only um, the, the, the student that's bullied, but also the bully, and that there are um, higher risks for them to feel unsafe as well, and that may be part of the reason that they are having these kind of behaviors. At this point, we're going to look at some COVID-19 pieces. Um, so this talks about societal trauma also increases the feelings of being safe. Um, so how many, over the past couple of years, how many of you have found yourself wondering if it's safe to go to the grocery store? Can you go to work? Um, is it safe to pick up dinner? Our, feel, our, our kids are feeling that as well right now. Um, their life has changed overnight. They went from one day of being in the classroom and being with their friends to flipping the switch and being at home uh, with their families. They can't go to school. They can't go to the faith group meetings or to the movies. Their proms, their graduations, their college visits have been canceled. Um, so there's just this whole um, layer of anxiety that may and that has been added to any potential problems that were already in place. Um, we're seeing a growing number of mental health issues across uh, across the country. This is um, evidenced by the acuity of calls to our hotlines. We're seeing more first time callers coming into our national suicide prevention hotline, for example. Uh, we we are hearing that access in, to substances in homes are increasing as well. Uh, behavioral health consequences are expected to last longer and peak later than the pandemic itself. So that means that even after we all go back to work and we have a, a more normal sense of, of life, we're still gonna be seeing some consequences of this. 
And so this, this too provides an opportunity for prevention right this moment. There are some things that we can do between now and when school starts again in the fall that can support our kids. Um, doing so can help um, provide a, a big difference in how safe they feel when we go back to, back to school. I know here, here in Kentucky, I'm seeing, I live in a neighborhood, so I see um, pretty regular teacher parades that go through here. Um, I know that a lot of our prevention providers are partnering with schools to put information about their mental health um, resources into the, the food delivery program. Um, we see folks are talking about um, some virtual trainings for staff members so that they can, staff are prepared when they come back to school as well. Hosting videos about how schools are being cleaned and disinfected for their safety. These are all great examples of the things that can happen right now um, to help students and their parents feel much safer about heading back to school. Um, local schools are preparing food baskets and delivering um, to kids. That's a great one too. Um, that's also a great opportunity to get some information out to the community about resources, about opportunities for kids to connect, um, other things that can happen. Uh, you may not, there may be um, a disconnect from some students that don't have technology. And so if they're picking up their, their food deliveries on a, a daily basis or a, a weekly basis or whatever that looks like, that's a great way to uh, continue that connection point and, and make sure that they feel like um, there's not been a, like a, a cutoff point between the school and themselves, that they stay connected uh, throughout the, um, the summer. I like that weekly phone calls with students. And Veronica said we've created a COVID mental health task force and have community resources on the website and in flyers, and they've done a survey to see what the parents, what are their concerns? That is, that is an awesome, awesome idea. I love the, the scavenger hunts as well. I know um, I've seen the rainbows in the windows and that for a while there's, there was a big thing around going on a bear hunt. Um, I think you know all of these are great and I, I just encourage you to continue to think about ways to reach out now to make those connections, transition from the current year's teacher to the next year's teacher and really think about how are you building that connection to from the five of the students to their school so that when they do come back to class they they have the opportunity to feel safe and are ready to learn as well right and in closing i like what the uh, maria the school nurse said that she's created a virtual classroom with videos but for those students who don't have access she calls them on a weekly basis i think that's so important that to consider those people who don't have access to the internet Absolutely, I agree, Kristen. I saw somewhere that somebody's doing uh, mental health first aid training for school staff before they go back. This is a great opportunity to take advantage of any virtual trainings that are happening and being um, really prepared when we get back to the classroom. Um, so prevention providers and educators are important partners in implementing these strategies to address the behavioral health issues that impact school safety among our kids. Um, but often prevention and education aren't at the same table. So during this section, we're gonna talk about ways to make that happen. So prevention strategies to reduce behavioral health issues, substance use and mental health. So we're talking about those two together when, we, when we're talking about behavioral health. They include programs, practices, as well as environmental strategies. Some of these focus on individual students, 
They could include delivery of educational programs, life skills, too good for drugs, lifelines, trainings for staff, educational programs for parents. Um, they're designed to build refusal skills for substance use uh, for su uh, or, or coping mechanisms for mental health issues. They can help identify at-risk youth and connect them with appropriate resources. Others address the community by reducing access to substances and means for suicide. They can also include policy reviews, identifying policies which focus on supporting healthy behaviors, and consistently enforce and consistent enforcement of those policies once they're implemented. So it's really important that we are aligning the strategies that we pick with the specific needs of our school. This, this allows us to create greater outcomes from our efforts, but more importantly, it fosters healthier, safer students. So if, for example, when I first started working in prevention, the community project I worked on addressed underage drinking. At the time, the person who wrote that grant application was not familiar with our community. And they included strategies that could not be conducted because that small community I was living in at the time was dry. We had no alcohol sales, no retail sales whatsoever, but all of those strategies were focused specifically on um, those retail um, initiatives. So after a after needs assessment, we determined access was actually coming from the home. And we began promoting awareness for parents about their, their um, kind of patrolling their alcohol access by putting stickers on milk cartons. Lots of, lots of preventionists will do sticker shock and they'll put stickers on uh, cartons of, of alcohol in the, in the liquor stores, but we didn't have those. So we had to look for alternatives. And so we used milk cartons. Um, while the original proposed strategies were evidence-based, they didn't fit our community. It's so vitally important for all of our strategies to fit where that school is and what's okay in that community as well. So even if a program is free, if a school, a school can't implement with fidelity, they won't achieve the outcomes either. So this is where we have to make sure that we're looking at the capacity um, to actually implement a program um, the way it was intended. Prevention providers offer a unique skill set when it comes to conducting, conducting needs assessment and guiding the selection. So I really encourage educators and preventionists to work together to think about how those prevention folks can help support that process. So our interventions also have to be comprehensive. We have to look at the entire context in which a student lives. Um, so for example, in Kentucky right now, we're implementing the Two Good for Drugs curriculum with support from the state opioid response grant. Uh, we have students in 300 schools across the state who are participating. And that is just an incredible number of kids who are being exposed from kindergarten through high school to this prevention curriculum. But what's really important is that in addition to that curriculum, the schools that are implementing are also reviewing their policies and procedures related to mental health and substance use among students. They receive technical assistance from prevention providers to update or add policies that support identification of at-risk youth, referral to appropriate education or treatment services, and follow up with students after a crisis and on, it, and on an ongoing basis. So research tells us that if a school follows up with a student who has gone out as a result of a mental health crisis, the risk of, uh, re the, 
a reduction, there's a 50% reduction in the risk of suicide, a, a subsequent um, suicide attempt as just as a result of somebody touching bases with them and making sure that they're okay, that back to school, that they feel like they're, um, they've been taken care of. So that's a no cost strategy that just means somebody is intentionally following up with that student. Schools are encouraged to consider substance use policies that focus on intervening and connecting uh, students with resources before use becomes harmful or addictive rather than using punitive zero tolerance policies. Those have a tendency to disconnect students from school, which then makes them perceive that their school is actually not safe. Um, improved family connections are an important part. We have a project in Kentucky called the Dinner Table Project that helps um, encourages parents to eat dinner um, with their uh, family more often and build those connections with um, their children and have conversations that increase their protective factors. Um, when schools and communities layer intervention, outcomes are improved, but more importantly, students, families, and communities are actually healthier. So let's take a look at some guiding principles um, to consider in supporting schools to address school safety through a behavioral health lens. I would say that if you have to pick one uh, prevention focus, address your mental health first. If schools choose um, mental health as a strategy, they're often addressing multiple components because of the shared risk and protective factors that exist. Many of the risk factors that increase um, mental health issues also are associated with substance use, personal violence, and other problem behaviors. So if we're addressing those mental health issues in our students, we're doing a significant um, work around some of those other risk factors as well. Consider updating your policies. A policy review and revision should also include that physical and psychological safety. Effective policies increase the perception that school is safe. Um, what's really important is, though too is making sure people know about your policies. Make sure that parents and students understand what happens when someone uh, reports that there's a bullying incident and make sure those are consistently enforced. That, that enforcement and consistency and knowing how to, to make a report is an, um, we've seen significant numbers um, in correlation between, between reporting and lowered suicide risk as well. Um, schools should encourage school bonding. When, schools, when students feel connected to school, they have lower rates of substance use and bullying, as well as um, improved mental health. They also feel safer. safer. School um, connectedness, supportive relationships with peers, teachers, other school staff, some of the things you guys were mentioning about the summer fall right into these things. And so I'm, I'm just really excited to see those things happening and um, encouraged that you guys are there. School failure, poor school performance, truancy, early dropouts, and placement in special education classes also increase adolescent drug use. Um, school connectedness decreases suicidal behavior, um, substance use, depression, and behavior in incidents. And all of these are connected, as we noted earlier, to school safety. Um, schools shouldn't wait to implement prevention strategies. Um, middle school is probably too late. In Kentucky, youth who use alcohol, tobacco, and marijuana before the age of 12 are 12 times more likely to use opioids by the age of 17, and eight times more likely to use substance uh, to use opioids before the age of 24. 
So if we're looking at that early initiation period and really getting ahead of um, when substance use is normalized for these students, we have the opportunity to really make a long-term impact on their life trajectory. Implementing preventions prior to the onset of physical, uh, psychological distress and substance use is imperative if you want to, uh, to have those impacts. As I mentioned earlier, being consistent uh, with enforcement, most schools have a bullying policies, but many students still report they don't feel those policies are consistent or fairly enforced, and that they don't know how to report a bullying incident at school. Um, all of these things really play into how safe a student feels and understanding um, just those small tweaks can, can make a huge difference. So uh, some additional things to consider is making sure you understand the current context. Leadership needs to understand why students don't feel safe so that they can identify and really focus the, the strategy on that um, concept. So, um, you may go in and implement uh, a variety of strategies, but if they don't address the real problem, they're not going to have the impact and students will not feel safer at school. Um, so student perception of the school's climate also plays a role in improving uh, the perception of safety. So for example, in Kentucky, grade level of students is particularly important in providing prevention. Safety incidents increase at the sixth grade level they climb steadily through the ninth grade, after which they start to decrease. Ninth graders were involved in 20% of the safety incidents in Kentucky schools, yet they only represent 8% of students in the state system. So these data inform educators that middle school youth and high school freshmen especially need supervision and guidance in order to reduce safety incidents, but there's still the question of why this occurs. So helping schools investigate the but why here for their school is one opportunity for prevention providers have in supporting the school safety. Um, also can encourage you to, to think universally. Um, implementing prevention across an entire population provides the greatest protection for a school. Sometimes it makes sense to target those most at risk, but you usually get more bang for your buck if you're, if you're delivering prevention across the entire population. You may reach kids who have not yet been identified for services. And for those kids who are higher risk, a universal prevention is actually less stigmatizing. And don't forget your community stakeholders. Um, the community, kids see um, their school safety through the lens of their community as well as their school. And so engaging the community in addressing the issues that may be happening outside school walls is a vital component um, to addressing school safety as well. Providing professional development for teachers. We mentioned that a lot in the chat earlier. Uh, that was, um, that's definitely one of the, the areas that you can look at. Um, when you do professional development, you get buy-in from, from teachers. It helps to really uh, embed the changes that you're looking for and really get to the point of, of changing the culture of a, of a school. And finally, remember that prevention outcomes take time. It's important to understand that you're probably in looking at five to 10 years before you can see some real consistent changes in this culture. And that may be hard because you may have, you have, may have changes of administrators in that time and, and they may have different um, uh, items that they wanna look at. So, but just really figuring out how do you just embed prevention um, initiatives for the long haul 
will get the greatest results. All right, so next we're going to consider some steps for building collaboration uh, for, between educators and providers. So if you're in education, what are some words that you use that others may not understand? Or if you're in prevention, what are some things that, that you, some words that you use that you think educators might not necessarily um, know about? SEL, that's a great one. Logic models, I love logic models. Social norms, MTSS, SMI. Peer services, UDL, ACES, health equity, SED, PBIS, all of these are great examples of if you're not in that world, um, you may not know what those stand for. Implicit bias, great one. PHQ9, SEL, NCCER, restorative practices. All of these may have different meanings in the, in the prevention world versus the education world. So it's really important that you are talking about these things um, together. Define your acronyms. Make sure that your, your partners are actually understanding what you're, what you're talking about when you say um, conscious discipline, for example. What does that mean? What, what, how does that play into a prevention role? What's a protective factor? Um, help the uh, help each other understand those things because the nuances for different fields can really impact how you play together. Um, take the time to spell them out. Um, it's also important to put them in context um, and translate those sector-specific jargon. Um, I see from Jonathan, NSPI stands for methamphetamines and suicide prevention. I would never have picked that up from MSPI. So it's really important for folks who are outside the field to understand what you're talking about. So I think it's also important for you to research how those words fit together. Um, so I may talk about a multi-tiered system of support as an educator. And in the prevention world, I'm talking about, about universal preven prevention and we're looking at all the different pieces. So it's really important that you guys are talking together as you move forward. Um, don't rush in. Uh, make sure you take time to figure out what this, the context is, listen to each other, and then recognizing that you both want the same thing. We're looking for healthy, thriving communities and students here. And we do that when we're addressing their school safety and giving them the opportunity to really be able to settle in at school and, and do the best um, that they can do. Thank you so much, Patty. And we're going to open it up to some Q&A. We've got five minutes remaining. Um, as some people have asked about the evaluation, this is it again. Um, again, if, if you're unsure which one to go to, just pick one. It doesn't matter. Um, both, both of us, the MHTTC, and we uh, appreciate your feedback. Um, and when you click on complete the evaluation, you will be sent to a PDF of a certificate of attendance. I know some of you have asked about that as well. So Mark, would you like to kick off the Q&A discussion? Sure, I would love to. And then I'm actually going to hand it off to Dr. Cummings, who has a question. Uh, so, Patty, terrific, uh, terrific webinar. So exciting. Uh, I think we should have subsequent discussions about uh, working with you and our partners at the Mental Health Technology Transfer Center uh, at Emory uh, to continue this uh, dialogue and exploration of the ways that collaborations can, can take place. Um, let me ask a question, go back to the question that you addressed about uh, COVID. And mm -hmm. 
The poll question had to do with what can we do now that can help set us up for uh, normalization for uh, the recovery period. But we're in this funny period now where the home environment is the school environment. And so is there anything schools can do in this, um, you know, um, in this kind of nether world that we're in now? Um, you know, we've been hearing increases in reports of domestic violence, mm -hmm. of, uh, child, in, uh, child endangerment. Um, so where, do the, where does the school's responsibilities end and practically what can schools do uh, when the school environment and the home environment are one and the same? Right. That's a great question, Mark. I think it's um, I think it's important for schools to to recognize there are boundary issues there, um, obviously. But if they're if they're concerned about a student, if they're um, you know if there's there are red flags that are going up for them about that student's behavior, if something may be different if they've contact if they've been in contact and then they drop off the radar, for example those become red flags and warning signs for us to, to figure out a way to reach out. I've seen some um, on Facebook, I see teachers that are, are you know, they visit, um, they go to the door just so they can see those kiddos um, to make sure that they are safe, that they are, um, you know, okay, and really having an opportunity to, to, inter uh, to interact with them now um, in this period reminds the kids that they do have that safe place if they may be in a situation where um, where they're not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily the best situation for them. But yes, definitely the domestic violence calls are, are significantly increased at this point. Thank you, Patty. And let me hand it off to Janet who has a question. Thank you so much for that wonderful presentation. I was curious if you have, um, any lessons learned or examples to share about um, school districts that you know of that, that have really done an excellent job leveraging school mental health providers to help address school safety concerns? I see um, there are several standout um, districts that I've worked with here in Kentucky that really have taken this so seriously. Um, they're looking at um, implementing best practices around uh, suicide prevention specifically. Um, I, you know, I have one district that has started doing um, not only the required suicide prevention training that all students need to get in, in middle and high school as part of legislation, but they've dropped that down to the, the fifth grade level and they've given all of their students mental, uh, some mental health uh, opportunities. And then they're actually, you know, pulling back and going to younger grades to give them resilient skills and coping skills before that they're actually at risk of suicide. Um, and then they're doing booster sessions. They've really bought into the idea that by addressing these issues repeatedly, not just checking off a box, that they're able to really have an impact on that student's academic success. And you know, when you're thinking about a school, that's, that's what they're graded on. And so helping, helping to make that connection and support that success of those students is vital for schools as well. And I think those, those districts um, are doing just that. Um, somewhat, some people have asked about the chat. I am saving the chat and I'm gonna clean it up and all those great examples of activities, I'm gonna make sure to save that as a resource. 
And it will be on our website and on this slide, which highlights our next presenter um, in June, you'll see the link down below. That's where, take a picture of it with your smartphone. Um, on our website, pttcnetwork.org slash Southeast, that's where you'll find the webinar today, the slides and the chat. So question expanding on boundaries from home, parents not wanting students to continue to receive school mental health services while at home. Recommendations. It's a really uh, delicate balance, obviously, because parents have to, um, you know, just they have to consent for that service. I think it's really important to figure out what what is important to that parent and have that conversation in a way that really helps them understand why um, their student needs the service. Um, it's it's interesting that if you can find that, um, I call it their hook. What is it that means so much to them that they um, that they will do what they they need to do? They'll step out of the stigma that is attached potentially to mental health services and really um, help them get those kiddos to where they need to be. Um, you know, it, but it's hard. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that it's not because it it's a it's a very fine line that you walk. And so just continue those conversations and and be willing to um, just dig a little deeper with that parent, figure out if there's a, a, a point that will help them see why this is so important. If you do have questions, this is Dr. Clark's contact information, patty.clark at ky.gov. So please, please do write that down, make a note of it so that you can follow up. Um, is that okay, Dr. Clark? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this was her slide. Yep. Okay, so do check the website in a, in a couple days and we'll have the recording up, we'll have the chat up. Um, so thank you again, Dr. Clark, for your time today. Dr. Cummings, thank you for your collaborative partnership. We really appreciate it. Everyone have a great day. I think today is Wednesday. <laughs> thank you, guys. All right. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>